Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. In this special episode of the Cafe Insider, I speak with longtime investor and sage of Silicon Valley, Roger McNamee. McNamee was an early champion of Facebook, putting his wallet behind the company and his faith in its visionary CEO and founder, Mark Zuckerberg. That relationship has unraveled in recent years following decisions made at Facebook that McNamee says sows extreme polarization and invades privacy for profit. We discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. Right after the 2016 election, Trump has just been elected. People are still fairly stunned and pretty horrified. And Zuckerberg is interviewed. I think it's the keynote address at Teconomy. And tell us about what happens there. Well, so he, Mark says, I forget his exact quote, but it's something like it inconceivable that Facebook had played a role in, you know, in, in the election. And when you say it's inconceivable, I mean, literally nine days before he got an email from me suggesting that this was a real danger. So, I mean, it, it, I think that was a, you know, a public facing statement as opposed to you know, it was inconceivable in the same way that you hear it from the Wallace Shawn character in, in uh, The Princess Bride, right? Inconceivable! One of the things that Mark and Cheryl are really good at is apologizing and promising to do better. And they really are masters at that. And they've used that playbook since Mark was at Harvard. And for whatever reason, policymakers and the press have let them get away with it. And... The difference between policymakers and the press and me is that I have not, <laughs> I've not been willing to go along. What do you think was really going on inside of Facebook after the election? I think they were caught by surprise. I think they were caught by surprise two different ways. There were definitely people inside Facebook who knew they were dealing with Russians. And there obviously were people inside Facebook whose job it was to help Trump be successful in what they were doing on Facebook. I mean, there are no rules on American business, particularly not on internet platforms. And so in a, engineers who are normally used to working around constraints, when you do not give them any constraints at all, they make a beeline for the thing that they're incentivized to do, which in this case was to maximize how much money they made. And so they changed their own internal rules. They did all sorts of things to help Trump, not because they liked Trump, but because they wanted to prove that Facebook could determine the outcome of an election because they assumed that that would be good for business and there were no rules against it. And so there were people who had to know they were doing business with the Russians. They obviously knew what they were doing with Trump because everybody was in on that. And it's just there were no rules against it. I think he was, they were shocked that anybody had a problem with it, right? And so that's what I think mostly it was like, why are you concerned? This is what our business is. And my point was, dude, you have a responsibility here to society. You are of a scale where your actions have an impact on people that you've never met, that you'll never meet, who deserve better than what they're getting. And the part of this that has been frustrating is my complete failure to get that message across to them. I have never said an unkind word about Mark. I've never said an unkind word about Cheryl. And 
the reverse is not true. And what I can tell you is that I still hold out a hope that they will have a good night's sleep and wake up one day and realize that this is on them and that they can be the hero in their own story. In order to do it, they're going to have to destroy the thing that has made them so successful. But people have done that in the past. People have recognized that there is a greater good. And it can't be about money. And honestly, if it's about power, shame on them. So ultimately, you have a really optimistic view of human nature and of where Facebook could end up. But <laughs> I also trying to drum it out of me. <laughs> out of all of us, right? But, but I mean, Roger, I, w- I would be less than candid if I didn't acknowledge that I sense disappointment in you, that more people haven't heard your message. You write your book in 2019 about Zuckerberg, and I read it as a call to action. You're trying to convince people, this is our moment, this is our time. You know, do we want to live in a dystopian technology future? Do we want to reclaim our, our privacy? And you've suggested that people didn't really listen to you and that the book didn't have the effect you hoped it would have. Why do you think this message, why do you think people haven't listened when this impacts our lives in such an intimate, sustained way? I think about this question a lot, Joyce. And what I would say is, one, I'm an imperfect messenger. And so some of this is is on me. But I think the other part of this is that people are busy. Their lives are complicated. There are a lot of stresses in society today. And People have been told for 40 years that instead of government being us, right, which is what it really is, government represents us and protects us, that government's actually a problem and that it's incapable of doing anything. And so as a consequence, there's a a learned helplessness that, you know, there's nothing we can do about corporate power. There's nothing we can do about evil in the world. And that expecting the government to do something successful is going to be lead to disappointment. And I try to remind people that when you and I were younger, government actually did a lot of really great things and that government represented the people who elected it. And it was imperfect, but it was better than it is now by a lot. And in fact, government plays a central role in the economy because it is the referee of capitalism. That the issue that we face today is an issue that the United States has faced many times in the past. In 1900, the food supply was unsafe because food manufacturing was unregulated. Pharmaceuticals were unsafe because there were no rules about making pharmaceuticals. We passed the Pure Food and Drug Act in 1906 and a series of amendments after that. And all of a sudden, food safety becomes a really important activity of government and the Food and Drug Administration and approving medicines and deciding the rules that allow medicine to come to market, that those things improve safety. And the industry complains ahead of time, oh, this is going to destroy our business model. And the answer is no. It just forced them to act in a way that was safe. And the industry comes back and prospers under the new rules. Same thing happened with the chemicals and petroleum industry. In the 50s, they would dis- they would dump toxic byproducts indiscriminately, causing massive public health and environmental damage. We pass a set of laws, completely transforms the business model again. Again, they say we can't survive this, and of course they can survive it. And that's what you've got to go in again. What we need in technology is three things. We need safety, 
we need self-determination. We need privacy. And then we need to have competition. Those three things are missing. So we need something that looks like a Food and Drug Administration for tech that sits there and says, wait a minute, there are products that today, like facial recognition or deep fakes, where there are no legitimate uses. And they shouldn't be allowed to come to market until they come up with legitimate use. And there are other products like cryptocurrency or smart devices or Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, where they're obviously great uses, but right now they're also terrible uses and nobody makes any effort to get rid of the terrible uses. So you set a bunch of rules to make sure that they get rid of the terrible uses. And I think that's absolutely essential. You know, artificial intelligence, it's way too dangerous today. That can be fixed. So that's number one. The second thing here is there is a business model that Harvard professor Shoshana Zuboff calls surveillance capitalism. It's the thing that Google invented in 2000 that Facebook adopted in 2013. And it's this notion that like an oil company, you're going to extract data from the environment and use it as a fuel for the entire economy. So they collect data everywhere, including stealing it from you. And they first use the data with machine learning to identify the patterns in society. Because human evolution is pretty slow. And so we all, whether we realize it or not, fall into certain patterns. They then take that same data and granularize it by the individual and create a model, a model for each person, which is an exact replica of our lives in digital form. Every financial transaction, every healthcare tra transaction, every time we go anywhere, whenever we use our phone, whenever we use an app, whenever we're on the web. And with that, you have this really complete picture and you can identify which patterns apply to which people. So you can predict their behavior. And then you use recommendation engines to manipulate their behavior. That is surveillance capitalism. Now, in 1938, it was common practice for parents to put children to work, involuntarily. In 1938, we passed the law to ban child labor because we said that takes away the right of self-determination of children. Shoshana Zuboff and I both believe that surveillance capitalism takes away the right of self-determination. Look at the people who went to the Capitol. Two years ago, if you had asked those people who've been arrested, could you imagine yourself storming the Capitol and attacking police officers and viewing that as a patriotic act? I would be willing to bet that not one of them would have told you that they could imagine that. Those people were manipulated. The same thing is true of the people who've been fighting the COVID vaccine. They have been manipulated. And that's not all Facebook, that's not all YouTube, not all Instagram. But it's mostly those guys. And or put another way, you couldn't have had that manipulation without those people. So they are an essential piece of this thing where society is being torn apart on their watch and they are profiting from this. And that isn't right. And it should be stopped. And then the other problem is they're so powerful that alternatives can't come to market. And so we need to update the competition laws, the antitrust laws, to reflect the fact that it's the 21st century and the economy works differently than it did in the 20th century. So you're not alone in believing that Facebook should be regulated, should be improved, but not destroyed. And of course, that means that recently we've had the Facebook whistleblower, Francis Haugen,
Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.